We are in the, uh, once again, we're in the last book of uh, the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. You can get there by going to Matthew, heading backwards, one book. It's the easiest route to, to find it. Uh, so if you're able, grab a Bible and uh, turn that way. Uh, it's always great to have it here in front of you as we work through these passages, particularly some of these Old Testament passages, which uh, you'll want to be looking back to on a regular basis as we work through this. Uh, so the book of Malachi functions as um, these six disputes between God and, and God's people. And there's this conversation going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, the first one we looked at a couple weeks ago uh, was in regards to whether God truly loves his people. And if so, how does he love his people? The second dispute, was, uh, which we began last week, uh, was aimed at, at Israel and, and telling them, you know, you have despised me. And God explains to them, the reason I know you despise me is you keep bringing these offerings that are, uh, are, are second rate, they're pathetic, they're, they're not things you really care about. And uh, so this week then, we are actually in the second half of the second uh, dispute. And, and here God's focus is not just all of Israel, but it's, it's focused in specifically to the priest of Israel who, who have been their leaders. Uh, so now the, the office of, of priest... Uh, we don't have it anymore. It is, uh, it is gone at this point in, in church history. And, and I'll explain more about why that's the case later. But for now, uh, I just want to warn you that you don't come to an Old Testament passage like this and, and write it off uh, you know, as if it doesn't apply anymore. Uh, we're going to see that this is very applicable to our lives. It applies to uh, the world you're living in right now today. Uh, and we're going to be seeing that. You know? So uh, follow along. Malachi chapter 2. <clears throat> we'll begin in verse 1 and we'll go all the way through. Uh, verse 9. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on the faces, dung of all your offering, of your offerings. And you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despise and abase before the people. And as much as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. The grass withers and the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord, you are a covenant God. <clears throat> you are the one who keeps your covenant, and we are eternally grateful for that. For we desire the grace and the peace which comes to us in the gospel. Lord, as we look back and we listen to your accusations against the, your priest in the days of Malachi, we ask that you would instruct our hearts for today. I ask that as we expound this passage that what is taught would be true instruction and a blessing to us all. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
So imagine for a moment that you are going to your doctor and you're going to, to receive some treatment for a number, number of issues related to your weight. You expect that he's going to give you some, some very difficult to keep regiments. But to your surprise, as he begins to explain to you what the plan is, he, he tells you that, you know, I, I no longer practice in, in that way. I no longer do the ways they taught us in med school. Uh, you know, those, those treatments were just too difficult. They were too hard on the people. It was in, impossible to keep them in the way that we desired to do so. And so, so I've come up with these new and innovative ideas. I, I think you're going to like them. They're a whole lot easier. You're, you're going to love them. Uh, and the first thing he says is this, <clears throat> eat all the bacon you want. Because bacon, you know, is high in protein. Everyone knows that. It's, uh, it's also just really good. You'll enjoy it. He, he then goes on to say, and uh, don't drink more than five beers per day. But make sure you drink a few every day because it's made out of wheat and wheat is really good for you. Uh, he goes on to say, and, and you should exercise. But, you know, if you're watching people exercise, that's good enough too. If you're watching basketball or, or football, then that certainly is going to count because uh, after all, science has proven that people's heart rate goes up when they're watching a stressful football game. <clears throat> you know, beer, bacon, sports. Uh, this might sound really exciting to some of us, right? This is much easier than you expected. It's, it's so much easier than you expected. Uh, and, and, and after all, this is your doctor giving you the instruction, right? Not some crazy guy in the street, but your doctor, he's, he's got his PhD, he's licensed by the state, uh, he's got a stethoscope, so you know he is legit. And, and yet you find maybe after a few months uh, of plenty of beer and bacon, you, you find that your health is further deteriorating. It's not going the way you expected it was going to go. Uh, and your doctor's treatment at this point might not seem so magical, right? not so great. You might even later say of this doctor that he has uh, committed malpractice. You know what malpractice is, right? Meaning, meaning he was negligent in his professional treatment. His actual work of being your doctor has left you worse off than when you began. That's, that's what's happened here with the priest in Malachi's day. And the priests are being rebuked in this passage for their spiritual malpractice of the people of Israel. You see, priests were assigned two main jobs as the priests. First, they were to, to oversee the worship, right? The sacrifices and the incense and, and all the various aspects of a worship service. And <clears throat> second, they were to teach the word of God, teach his law to his people. Uh, and what we're finding is that they have willingly, they have knownly, disregarded both of these, these aspects of their, their calling. Uh, and so I want us to see how this unfolds in this passage, and we're going to look at it in these, these three seconds, or three sections, and, and, and yet I'm going to tell you this from the start, we're going to approach it a little out of order, and there's a reason for that, but uh, we'll get to that later on. Uh, we're going to start with verses 4 through 7, which is explaining to us what a proper priest looks like, what a proper priestly ministry should look like, <clears throat> and, and then uh, it's going to be done with this example of looking at, at Levi. Uh, and then we're going to see this poor example of the priest in Malachi's day, verses 8 and 9. And then we're going to come all the way back to verses 1 and 3, which explain the consequences uh, of their malpractice. And we're going to see a little bit there. So, um, and then finally, we're going to bring it all together in, in light of all of Scripture, right? Because Malachi doesn't exist uh, all by itself. It is part of the entire canon of God's word. So, as we consider Levi, let me remind you, though, from the, from the start, that 
uh, Old Testament priests were God's idea. I think we need to be reminded of that sometimes. Sometimes we want to just, priests are bad, right? Because uh, you, you look at the way Jesus interacted with them in the New, in the New Testament, or uh, you see that they don't exist today, right? And, and, and you've got to understand that it's God's idea. God established this role. He established this office. It is a good office. The issue here that is, that is the issue is that there is corruption that has come into this office. That's what's being, uh, that's what's at stake, or being corrected here. That's, that's why God takes the time here, in fact, to point to Levi, right? Not just that priesthood is bad, but to point to Levi as this example of, here's what good priestly ministry should look like. And so Levi, what do you know about Levi? Levi's parents were Jacob and Leah. He, he's one of the, the 12 men who become the 12 tribes of Israel. They're, they're uh, descendants. That's why they're called the Levites. Uh, the, the, book of Levi, or the book of Leviticus, in fact, is named after Levi. Uh, you see, they had a, a distinct role, though. When Israel enters the promised land, uh, that God goes in and, and he begins to divide up the land. And there's a section that's going to be given to, to all the different aspects, all the different tribes of, of Israel. And, and yet Levi's descendants are told, you're not going to get any land. And, and instead, they're going to be given this unique calling. In the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 18, verse 7, we read this. The Levites <clears throat> have no portion among you. For the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. So you don't get land. What you get is you get to be priests. This is their calling. To teach the law of God. To oversee the worship of God. So that's the covenant with, with Levi here. That verse 4 speaks of. Levi's responsibility there in, in verse 5. We, we see his responsibility was to fear God. Not, not the fear that you might have of an angry and abusive father, but the fear that you have of someone who is, who is powerful and, and respectful. God goes on to say in our passage that Levi stood in awe of my name. It's an amazing statement. Levi stood in awe of my name. It's, it's the incomparable reverence that God alone is worthy of. And the people under Levi's ministry, grew spiritually. They, they flourished under this ministry. The, the people found joy in, in seeking and uh, to obey the Lord, you see. Levi was, was faithful to teach them what, what God had inspr- instructed them, and he called them to repentance, and he called them to life change, and their life flourished as a result of it. <clears throat> and then in verse 7, God says that a priest's role is to protect knowledge. And to be an, a person that other people can come to and, and, and seek out godly uh, instruction from. The, the priest, though, you've got to understand this. The priest never was the priest an originator of ideas and laws. The, the priest's job was merely to be a, a messenger of the word of God, the word of the Lord. Le, Levi did this well. In his life and in his ministry, the people were all blessed because he did it well. And so God gives this example. This is what priestly ministry should look like. However, the priest in Malachi's time did not do this well. Instead of delivering God's message, they'd begun to teach very different messages. You know, you who are, are parents, you, you, you know how much you hate it when <clears throat> you give a child a message and, and their job is just to take this message to the other children, and then you overhear this, this different matches, message a little bit later being delivered as you're, you're just hearing down the hall. You, know, you, you say something like, you know, hey, uh, dinner's going to be late tonight, so grab a snack out of the cupboard. And then 30 seconds later, you, you hear one of your children saying something on the lines of, you know, uh, Mom says we get to eat ice cream for dinner. 
that's that's not what i said or or like eric when he came up here today right he he communicated a message that's not what i said <laughs> that kind of thing um in the book of hosea i know another prophetic book in chapter 4 verse 6 god points out that that god uh, that his covenant people lack knowledge as a result of the priest having rejected knowledge. And so it's this trickle-down effect there uh, that, that comes to the people. He says, uh, in that verse, he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest for me. Takes this very serious. You see, true instruction of God's word is of utmost importance to God. It's very serious to him. It's also important that the priests actually practice this law themselves. It's been said, you might have heard this phrase, that orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy, right? In other words, that right beliefs will lead to right actions, right way of actually living our lives. And what we're finding is that the opposite is also true, that wrong beliefs will lead to a wrong way of living out your entire life. And that's why in verse... 8 here, uh, verse 8 here tells us what these priests have done. It reads this, But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Remember, Levi had integrity. His spiritual walk matched his spiritual talk. But this is not the case with the priests in Malachi's day. They're, they're more like the negligent uh, doctor that I mentioned at the beginning, right? They, they taught something other than what was true. They decided, you know, uh, God, you're God, but we know better than you do what your people need. And so they caught what, taught what was clearly contrary to God's word. And, and what we're finding is that their false teaching, their wrong teaching, have caused the people to stumble because they weren't teaching truth. And then in verse 9, the, the priests are showing partiality. <clears throat> That's one of those words we, we hear a lot. I don't know if we use it a lot. We hear it a lot, but it's this idea of showing favoritism to one group instead of another group, of, of treating one group different than another group. I, uh, I played football in, in high school. Um, I grew up in Texas. Everyone plays football in high school in Texas. Uh, but I remember that as we were getting our teachers every year and you'd open up to see who your classes were going to be, it was, it was always exciting when you'd say, oh, I got coach so-and-so for my classroom teacher. Uh, and it's not because they were the greatest teachers. It was uh, simply because they would show partiality to us. Uh, you know, not necessarily anything absolutely crazy, but athletes were certainly uh, treated different. We could turn things in late and there would be no consequences for it. If, uh, if you failed a test, then you could retake the test that, that others might not have been given the opportunity to. And you see, in the long term, it stunted our intellectual uh, uh, development. It, but even in the moment, it was absolutely uh, unjust, uh, to, unfair to those who, who were not involved in the football program. And, and partiality uh, offends God greatly because God is a God of justice. And, and favoritism flies in the face of justice. Deuteronomy 16:19 says this. It says, uh, this is God speaking. He says, you shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. God's teaching against partiality is the reason that I don't ever find out how much anyone gives to the church. 
I don't know. That, that, that information is, is outside of my, my range. And, and the reason is, I don't ever want to be tempted to partiality, right? I'm not going to stand here and say I'm above it, but I don't even want to be tempted towards it in any way. And, and, and so here's what we've got to understand about this, though, is that at the heart, partiality is the result of those in a position, like the priests are here, those in some sort of position having a greater fear of, of man, of other man, than they do of God. That's the heart of what's going on here. Oswald Chambers puts this beautifully. He has this, this quote. He says, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, <clears throat> you fear everything else and everyone else. Now, let's look back at verses 1 and 3. We're, we're coming back to the beginning. The reason uh, I wanted to end with the beginning of our passage is, is so that we can see that God does indeed care for his people. And he is not pleased with the spiritual malpractice uh, of the priests who have been put in the role of caring for God's people. He, he says to them, let me remind you this, he says to them there, starting in verse 1, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Wow. That's the word of God. That's quite a rebuke right there. And he says first, you know, that, that I will curse your blessings. See, the, the priests in the Old Testament, uh, one of the things that they did was, was to speak a blessing well, you know, over the people of God. It was called the, the blessing of Aaron, right? It, it's in Numbers 6, 24 and 26. Um, you're probably familiar with it. We use it often as our benediction at the end of the service. Uh, and, and Numbers 6 says this. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord <clears throat> uh, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And God is saying, I will curse your blessings. I, you know, they, they're, they're rendered worthless. Their, their ministry here has not flourished, right? And, and the peace that they desire is not going to come to them. This at first, I think, is an interesting statement because as you're reading this, the first thing you see is this, this if-then statement, right? And you kind of get this idea that maybe there's a hope. Maybe they're going to turn from their ways, uh, from their evil ways, and they'll be able to avoid these consequences that God is saying are going to come to them. But then we see in verse 2 that God has already put this into motion. The, the consequences for their leading God's people astray are, are, are coming to them. It's, it's like that line in, in Dan Black's... Uh, uh, Ballad of Player One. There's that haunting lyric, if you've ever heard it. It says, uh, No more lives, no more tries. Player One, you are done. That, that's the situation for these, these priests here. And, and we're not used to seeing things like this in Scripture. It, it, it kind of shocks us, I think. Then in, in verse 3, that, that word offspring in, in verse 3, it's, it's interesting where it says, you know, I will rebuke your offspring. The, uh, the Hebrew word there is, is zera, uh, which means seed. It could be agricultural seed. And in fact, it most likely is a reference to agriculture because the harvest of, of the crops 
uh, or where people would bring a, a tenth of that in, and the priests would actually receive their livelihood as a result of that. And so uh, a curse in that area was going to be a curse to their livelihood as well. Uh, the other statement in verse 3 also relates to, to sacrifices. God shockingly says he's going to spread dung on the faces of the priest. You, you heard that right. He's going to spread poop on their faces, right? Um, I cannot wait to see your children's notes today, <clears throat> especially if you let them draw these sort of things. Um, we need some content to that, right? What in the world's going on? Like, it seems childish and immature, but I promise you there's something deeper going on here. You see, uh, there's a bigger context to this. When, when the priests sacrificed animals, one of the side effects of that was you had this intestines and the poop, and it became this nasty, nasty stuff. Uh, they had a word for it, so you didn't have to say nasty, nasty stuff. They called it offal. Uh, and the offal was considered ceremonially unclean and also just disgusting. Uh, and so it was collected in the temple where the sacrifices were made and carried way out somewhere far away and, and just dumped somewhere. And, and with that in mind, you understand that the statement here to these priests is, is that, you know, you, you were set apart as, as God's priest. You, you were set apart as, uh, in the sense of being holy and, and clean for the service of God. And, and now they're being told you're going to be rendered unclean in the most disgusting way imaginable. And there's no doubt this all seems incredibly harsh. If you're like me, you read this in, in God's word and you don't like it. Like that you just want God to be nicer, right? I, I think in our, our hearts we, we want to step in and, and we want to lower God's standards for these priests. You know, maybe give them a, a slap on the wrist. But maybe there's something else we need to learn here. You know, per, perhaps we need to learn just how important the worship of God is to God. Just how important it is to God that his people are, are cared for, that they are shepherded, that they are taught properly and, and such. Maybe that's what we need to learn there. And so where does this leave us, right? This is a weird passage. It, it leaves us somewhere, right? We, we, we recognize this. We, we know this from our own culture, right? We, we've seen the corruption of politicians. We, we've seen teachers and coaches and, and leaders abuse their power and, and, and cause all sorts of, uh, of wrong things to come as a result of their leadership. It, you know, and, and when we see this, it stirs this hostility in us. We, when we see people using their position of power to bring about abuse or injustice, it, it makes us angry. We, we also live in a world where the church as an institution is not trusted. It just, it just isn't. Um, you know, we, we've just seen too many abuses of power at this point. We, we've seen the sexual sins of leaders. We've seen false teachings uh, of all sorts. We've, we've seen partiality on just about every level. You know, I, I run into guys all the time. You know, many, many churches will even refuse to do church membership today as a way to, uh, to, to abdicate their, their responsibility to, to, to shepherd and, and care for people, right? We won't even take that responsibility. It might seem <clears throat> difficult to apply this, this passage, right, since the, the priesthood no longer exists. And, and that's kind of where we want to come to it. Like, it doesn't exist. Let's just be done with it. Let's move on. Uh, and, and it doesn't exist for this. It, it's obsolete because priests were this go-between between God the Father and, and, and his people of Israel at the time. Uh, however, Jesus 
fulfills that role absolutely. He is this intercessor with, with God for us. You know, as Christians, we have this, this personal access to God. You, you don't have to go through an intermediate. Um, theory. Um, and, and Jesus fulfilled the need of animal sacrifices, right? Being, being the, the final and, and perfect sacrifice, he's the great high priest we've, we've always wanted. And, and yet, you know what makes this passage really, really awkward to preach on? If you think about it, if you, I mean, surely you see this, right? The, the role of a pastor is not the same, but, but certainly the, it parallels the role of the priest closer than, than anything else. So that's not the kind of thing I want to preach on on some level, right? Because it, it raises this question that, you know, the question I've got to be asking myself as a preacher and a teacher of God's word is, who, who am I ultimately concerned with pleasing? Who, who am I in of when preaching? Is it, is it God or, or is it people? And that's a question that's got to be asked over and over and over again. You see, uh, proclaiming truth in a relativistic culture can be very uncomfortable. Very. I, I felt it in Ephesians, right? When we were, when we were learning about the, the different roles of a husband and a wife, when we were learning about leadership and submission, you know, I, I felt that that pressure. I, I, I feel it in every conversation I have with someone who wishes to live their life in a way that scripture forbids. That, that pressure of, uh, you know, I, I've got to say something here that you don't like. Whether we're talking about, you, you know, the, 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 um, the practice of homosexuality or, or, or sex outside of marriage or, or some universalist uh, view of salvation, right? Uh, I, I'm going to feel it next Sunday because Malachi is going to take us into the topic of, uh, of divorce. You see, sometimes I, I think as, as Christians, what we find is uh, our desire to show uh, God's grace, to really display God's grace. That's, that's the heart and our desire. And, but it will lead us to sometimes presenting uh, God as though he could care less uh, about the content of anyone's lives. Like, live it however you want. I just, I'm just love. The, the problem is, and that's a shame when we do that, because if nothing is sin, then grace and forgiveness have lost significance Altogether, I mean, the beauty of grace and significance is that we are sinners, not, not that there is no such thing of sin. So anyways, as our culture changes, you know, will, will the church give in to the pressures around us to teach and to preach what is easily agreeable to, to current views? Or will we stand firm and with an unwavering reverence, you know, uh, for the Lord God Almighty and his word uh, as it's revealed to us in the scriptures? Is this going to be the message we, we preach? From these, these scriptures. You know, will we, as our, our passage says it, will we give true instructions? And, and let me say, that's, that's a pressure on, on me, but it's not just me either. Uh, I'll tell you, this, this weight is on, on John Dunning as he preaches to students at RUF on, on Tuesday evenings. This, this pressure is on the, the castings and, and the hardies. They, they feel it when they, when they teach and they disciple students with crew. Now, Trisha feels it when she's, when she's teaching Bible studies. You know, our, our elders, Tim and, and Travis, feel this when they teach in our small groups or, or when they stand in this pulpit and they have to preach the word. Many others whom we've asked to, to lead times of teaching for, for men and women in Bible studies and other areas, you know, we, we feel this pressure. There's this warning in James 3.1 that often comes to mind. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. 
For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. With that in mind, I, I ask you to pray for me. I ask you to pray for all who preach and teach. I ask you to, you know, pray that God would give us a, a healthy fear of God, that he would give us a, a strong sense of awe for the calling that, that God has put in our lives for the teaching of his word. You know, that, that we would be comfortable proclaiming uncomfortable truth. That, that's the heart of it. Um, for the good nourishment of God's people. Uh, there's more that we can learn here, though, right? Uh, it's not just for preachers and, and teachers. This is true for you as well, as, as a Christian. For all Christians, you know, maybe you've heard of this phrase, the, the priesthood of all believers, right? It's a doctrinal kind of, kind of phrase. We, we see it in 1 Peter 2.9, which is actually in your bulletin, and uh, we used it at one point today in the, the liturgy. But it says this, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, the priesthood of all believers means that every disciple is part of this, this new priesthood with a responsibility to declare God's word to our neighbors, to declare God's word to the nations. The Great Commission, right? Um, and, and so while you may not preach from a pulpit, while you might not stand in front of a group of people on Thursday evening, you are, by, by God's design, a priest in the sense that you teach the gospel, you teach the word of God to those around you, right? Maybe to your friends or your spouse, to your children, to your parents, to your neighbors, to, to whoever you might have the opportunity to speak to, whoever might ask you a question, right? See, my... my my son, uh, sixth grade, my son's been able to answer questions about God for some of his classmates. We, we haven't sent them in there, you know, like just, just go in and start talking. But, but he's there, and, and he's had these opportunities to, to answer these questions. And I, I love that he gets to do that. I, I love that he gets to do that because he knows the answers to these questions because of, of God's word. And, and I love that he gets to do that because when, when I was in, in high school, I was that guy asking questions. And I was so grateful, you know, later in life as I look back, I'm so grateful that there were, there were Christians that actually knew their word and were willing to speak up and willing to talk about, about what the gospel means. They didn't care if I thought they were crazy. They were willing to answer these questions I had. <clears throat> and so all this means a lot for us, right? It means that we, are, we must live with integrity. Not perfection, but integrity. And I, I say that, you know, does that... I mean, it, sometimes that makes me nervous, you know, when you hear that, that idea, you've, you've, you've got to live with integrity as, you know, you're an ambassador of Christ, and, and so you start to feel that sense of, well, I'm, I'm no good at that. I mess up all the time. And, and I want you to know, you know, don't stress about that. It's not about perfection. It's not even about close to perfection, okay? It, it means... <clears throat> If anything, it means we, we should live with more humility, more honesty, more openness about our failures so that we can share with others that we do not have it all together. But, but Jesus does. And he has rescued us from our own sin, our own rebellions, our own hopelessness. You see, Jesus is the perfection that we cannot obtain. And so we can share this, you know, this simple message. You've likely heard it before. It's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to remain that way. 
And so we can tell others about the rest that we have found being under the care of who today is the, is the one true and eternal priest, high priest, Jesus Christ. I want to show you one more thing from the passage here. You notice in verse 7, uh, it speaks of priest in the singular. And you kind of miss it in the text because of uh, our English, really. But all the word you, you, you that comes in the verses after that, those are plural second person statements there. Y'all, 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 you guys, whatever. <clears throat> and uh, so you've you got to understand, it's, it's really kind of weird that he goes into this sing singular use here. But it says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. It's weird because typically in Scripture, when it speaks about the messenger of the Lord, as this verse does, it's referring to an angel, an angelic being, who comes to deliver God's message. This passage, though, is, is pointing uh, to the true priest that we all need. It's pointing forward to, uh, to Jesus himself, not because he was an angel who came, but because he was the Lord himself who brought the message of, of, of the Lord. Jesus always taught what was true. Jesus instructed perfectly, and his message was not one of lowering standards, but a message of, of life and peace, and a message to this day that is still leading people to repentance and, and, and faith in Christ. You see, Jesus is the new and, and better Levi, who was the best example of a high priest given in this passage to begin with. He himself became a curse for us, nailed to a Roman cross, buried in the tomb. But death could not keep him. And to this very day, he sits at the right hand of God the Father and intercedes for us. He is forever the high priest that we need and that we have. So the more we understand God's grace to us in the gospel, the, the more we're going to stir, we're going to store up the proofs of his word in our, in our hearts, the more we're going to be able to faithfully answer people's question or, or, or teach people about what God's word has to say. Um, anyone he brings into our life. That, that's the beauty here. I, I think if, if we're going to see anything here, it's that truth matters to God deeply. Not only that, but, but you as God's people, he, he cares deeply about the way you're cared for. These priests were given a job, and, and when they failed to do it, they, uh, they were held accountable. It's a difficult thing for us to see, but I want us to know just the depths of God's care and, and, and love for us as his people. And, and that we embrace this call to, uh, to be a, a royal priesthood to teach wherever we might go the, the word of God, the good news of the gospel, because our Lord is good. He's good. Let's pray. Lord, we no longer have priests who offer sacrifice on our behalf because Jesus has rendered that pra practice obsolete, having offered himself once for all the perfect sacrifice for our sins. However, we do have those who are called to instruct your people in your word and in your ways, and I ask that you keep us from corruption, that you render us mute if we speak what is false about you. I ask that you work mightily through the preaching of the word, and that as your word is taught across Manhattan this morning in churches and during the week in large group studies and Bible studies and across cups of coffee in various shops, I ask that your word would be understood and, and cherished and, and work in the way that you desire it to work so that lives are changed forever.
In the name of Jesus, our blessed Savior, I pray. Amen.